Keltec is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. to another episode of the Talking Lead Podcast. I'm your host, Lefty. You are listening to the Talking Lead Podcast, as I just said, Leducating the Uneducated for 10 years. And uh, apparently that's not long enough for some people. Uh, they think that I'm still an idiot. <laughs> I got some feedback from a would-be listener, I guess, Brian, the other day. He listened to AK Corner 461, and he had some harsh, harsh things to say about it. So. <laughs> You know, we take our fans from all corners, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's wonderful that he, he is so fascinated with the show that he took the time to tell you what he thought. Yeah, well, he, he said, I, I heard about you guys. I went and listened. Didn't like it. Didn't like all the background noise. Didn't like somebody breathing in the microphone. Uh, I, <laughs> but uh, I will admit that that episode, there was a little rambunctious background noise. Um, sometimes that's beyond our control, but. You know, you got to listen to the content and the content of that episode from everybody else that I've been getting the feedback from absolutely uh, loved it and enjoyed it. It was the one that we did on the uh, the German AK, East German AK. Nice, nice. It, it may come as a shock to some members of the audience that uh, we don't have full production studios with sound crews. <laughs> right. And, uh, we're not running you know, a multi-million we're dollar. We're ballers on a budget in this industry. And, uh, That's right. you know... Um, I, I generally find the production quality of what you do great. So, well, I appreciate uh, yeah. that. And and I think we, we are satisfying uh, some some fan wants, some fan requests with this episode and having you on because I can't tell you how many requests and emails that I've gotten asking, where's Brian? When's he going to be back on? We miss Brian. So, ladies and gentlemen, the return of Brian Keeney. Well, it's great to be back again. Um, and yeah, I have missed doing this. We, this economy and this new post great reset America manufacturing anything and whether that's pizzas or AKs has become orders of magnitude more difficult. And we've been spending a bunch of time retooling, um, recharging our mags, getting back in the fight. And, um, we have a, a new production set up where we've partnered with one of my good friends locally to do our machining and we are focusing um on doing a lot of aspects of manufacturing but the the raw cutting of metal is now done about 300 yards away from our shop by a, an ak guy and a good friend of mine who will introduce uh maybe in a later episode here or uh, in one of my other social media feeds yeah and um so that's that's been a really big project that started in October. Right now, we've got all of our parts up and running at our partner shop, and uh, we are implementing big boy inventory management and production controls. We've we've done a nice jump in growth. Growing pains are usually painful. This has been no exception. Um, but we are uh, people will notice we have a lot more stock a lot more quickly uh, than we used to be able to 
provide with just our two machines. Right now we have access to seven of them. And so that's been a big part of my absence. And uh, we're still, it's going to be another six months of real heavy pushing to get everything streamlined. But I'm very proud to announce we've got uh, Atlantic Firearms. The folks over there have been yeah. very good to us. And they're now uh, carrying several of our parts. We're doing kind of a clean ramp oh, nice. with them, kind of crawl, walk, run. Yeah, big deal. Um, yeah, the, the, the gents over there are really cool people. And uh, it's it's been a joy to work with them. So okay, far. I'm glad to hear you got a we got a connection over there now. I would love to maybe possibly get those guys on the show and uh, talk about them from time to time. But that episode that I was talking about the four I think it was 491 was the Romanian AK. I got that wrong. So um, go back check that out. But we just dropped the this month's episode of the AK Corner, um, and we announced the winner of that Atlas Defense Copus Silencer. So. Uh, Go back, listen to that. If you participated, then uh, find out if you won. We gave away the SEAL one. We gave away some Mission First Tactical things. So uh, go back, check it out, and see if you were a winner. This episode, Brian, uh, is another reason why Brian is on this. Uh, you know, We've had some great little literary authors on the show, action thriller authors, uh, Jack Carr, Kyle Mills, Stephen Hunter, and we're going to be introducing you to another one new to the show this episode. And uh, Brian's a big fan of this this guy as well. So I, I wanted uh, to have Brian on for this. So, Brian, I appreciate you taking the time to be on and join us. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Um, yeah, this author has been a favorite of mine for, gosh, at least a decade. And um he strikes a really great balance between being entertaining and also teaching you. And uh, for those of us in the gun culture that cringe every time somebody talks about a clip or a banana, whatever, or, you know, his <laughs> his weapons craft and, and understanding of doctrine is really good. And so it's, it's cringe-free listening or reading uh, for those of us who actually care about the martial art of gunfighting. Attention business owners. Are you ready to take your marketing game to the next level? Look no further than Black Tie Digital Marketing, the firearm-friendly, full-service agency that delivers results. We've worked with industry giants like Keltec, Spikes Tactical, and Armalite, and we even designed the kick-ass new logo at Talkin' Lead. At Black Tie, we blend creativity and data-driven strategies to ensure your message hits the mark every time. From high-end custom websites, graphic design, to inbound marketing campaigns, and everything in between, we've got you covered. Your success is our priority. Join the ranks of the industry's top players and give your business the boost it deserves. Experience the power of Black Tie today. Visit blacktiedigital.com or call 1-800-316-8030 to schedule your free consultation. That's Black Tie Digital Marketing, where firepower meets marketing power. Black Tie Digital Marketing is a proud sponsor of the Talking Lead Podcast and the Leadhead Brigade. So I gotta say, um, and and we're gonna have him on just a minute. He's not he's not hooked up with us yet, so we're kind of waiting for him. I'm not gonna say who it is yet. Of course, if you've been watching my social media, you know who it is. <laughs> um, he has a new book out, and we're gonna be talking about his new book. And uh, I want to do, I've got a great intro for him, so we're going to wait for him to get on here uh, to do that. But in the meantime, uh, make sure you go and support all our sponsors, Mission First Tactical. Go to Mission First Tactical, use code LEADHEAD, get 20% off. 
Uh, they've got those new Pro Series holsters. They, they have the magnetic retention, so you don't have all the screws and washers and all that stuff coming loose and having to replace. Uh, go check those out. You can use the code on anything on their website. Get 20% off. Code LEADHEAD. Uh, of course, our new sponsors, 4Patriots. Go to 4Patriots.com. Use the code, all caps, LEADHEAD. You're going to get 10% off uh, anything on their store. It's, it's good for their survival food. It's good for their uh, rechargers, their battery rechargers, generators. They've got all kinds of products there for the prepared-minded individual. Uh, use the code LEADHEAD and 10% off your first purchase at 4Patriots. That's the number 4Patriots.com. Seal uh, one. For all your gun cleaning lubricating needs, use Seal One, Seal One and Done. Use code LEADHEAD, get 25% off, and they've got those new uh, cleaning rod sets available now, too. So go check out SealOne.com, use code LEADHEAD, 25, big fat 25% off there. And our good buddy uh, Ben over at Kraken Cases, they've got a new case out, Kraken Case for ammo. Uh, I saw a, a post on his Instagram today, I think uh, he had his 4570 ammo case. Uh, it was pretty cool because it's engraved with like a buffalo laser engraved with a buffalo on the inside of that that memory foam that they're famous for, becoming famous for. Uh, they're a new company, but they are taking the uh, gun storage case by storm, market by storm. Uh, Kraken cases use the code Talking Lead get 10% off at Kraken cases. You say Kraken or Kraken? How do you I say, say Kraken, uh, but but that's just me. Uh, and uh, I see we've uh, got Mr. Thor joining us here. Hello, ah. sir. Hey, guys. How are you? Hello, Brad. Really how well, are you? Thanks. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. You uh, hearing everybody okay? Everybody coming through? I'm good. I'm looking at that panel on the back wall in your set. Is that Rhino? That is lockdown secure walls. Okay. All right. I've got Rhino. Okay. So. Well, I can introduce you to these guys. They make a really good uh, storage wall, and they've got all kinds of safe products. Can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> I built out my whole gun room, and it looks like, you remember Ben Affleck and the accountant when he goes into his uh, his RV or whatever that is, and he's got all that stuff there? I spent a freaking fortune, and I sent the picture to a Navy SEAL, uh, several SEALs that I'm friends with, and they go, Thor, how many guns do you need? How many can you fire at once? <laughs> Even if it's the worst zombie apocalypse, like That's World War Z. I mean, question. how many guns? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, kind of like Wall Street. How many yachts can you water ski behind, Gordon Gecko, till you're happy? Gecko. I love that. Life goals. Life uh, goals, exactly. Your, yes, yes. There's always room for one more, right? That's right. That's it. It's always room for one more cocktail, one more <laughs> rifle, one more pistol. It is a uh, it is a bottomless pursuit as far as I'm concerned. And not the two together. Never cocktails and firearms. I want to be clear. So there you go. The right settings. Responsible but, uh, ownership. I bet, your, I bet your safe room is remarkable. I can only it's imagine. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I'm glad I did it, especially with two kids. Uh, you ready to do this? You ready to get into it? Yeah, ready to rock and roll. Let's so, do it. This is my co-host, Brian Keeney. Brian's up in Hello, Iowa. Brian. Hello, sir. Or uh, Idaho. I'm sorry, not Iowa. He wishes he was in Iowa. Uh, people think 
people confuse. No, I do not wish I, I was in Iowa. I'm in the great state of Idaho. I uh, uh, run a company called Occam Defense. We make a Space Age AK that's sub-minute um, of accuracy most of the time, sub-2 MOA always. And uh, we've made a few innovations. I'm a physicist and have done kind of the oh, cool. applying stuff from aerospace and other areas to the AK to bring it up to speed. But I am also a mega fan of yours, and uh, this is a real oh, thrill to get to, to spend some time with you. Well, cool. I'm honored to be here. So thank you for uh, sharing me with your audience and making me a guest. Absolutely. So we kind of did a little pre-show before you got on here, Brad. So okay. uh, let me let me do you the justice of, of introducing you. So Leadheads, the moment you've been waiting for, we have the number one New York Times bestselling author of 23 thriller novels, including the one that we're going to be going over today, Deadfall. He's especially known for his innovative plots and extensive knowledge of intelligence, special operations, and terrorist communities. He was recruited into the Department of Homeland Security's Red Cell Program, an elite group of writers and artists commissioned to brainstorm terrorist scenarios for the U.S. government. He's traveled around the world, including a trip to Afghanistan where he shadowed a black ops team. Leadheads, give a big welcome to our very special guest, it is the god of action thriller thunder, Brad <laughs> Thor. <laughs> Hello, guys. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for joining us. It's been a long time coming. Um, I've been talking with David uh, quite a bit over there at Simon & Schuster, so I'm glad he was able to make this happen for us. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I'm glad to be here. And now I've expanded out the view so I can get a really good look at your wall there and what you've got on it. Uh, had I been thinking, maybe if we do this again, I'll do it from uh, my gun room next time. Oh, that'll be uh, awesome. Yeah. Provided I can get a good enough signal in there. But yeah, that's kind of, that's really neat. That's impressive stuff. Well, thank you. That's that's just my little wall of um, of oddities that I like to hang up. And of course, I nice. got Brian's up there too. That's his... Uh, Occam Defense AK that he makes up there. Beautiful. Maybe we could meet Beautiful. at uh, Royal Range one day. I could bring it out there and let you ah, shoot it. <laughs> that'd be, listen, that'd be terrific. I got to meet the owner of Royal Range. Yeah. Uh, and I guess his claim to fame is I think he was a Red Bull distributor at one point. He was in the beverage distribution business mm -hmm. and was a firearms enthusiast. Uh, super guy. Super, super. Really yeah. nice. Met him. I was out with my family and he's like, you got to come down and you know, we can do a whole bunch of, you know, training and uh, they've obviously got the rooms mocked up there and everything. Just yeah. a really cool, cool they facility. They are a great group there at Royal Range. They're, uh, they're not elitist or snobbist whatsoever. Very welcoming and knowledgeable people. And of course, you know, Art, Art Kaysen, he runs Royal Range there. A super great mm -hmm. guy. He's, uh, he's threatened to, to try to get you and I hooked up several times there. So we need to make that happen. They're great guys, and my son was on the rifle team at his school in Nashville, and uh, we were there, and I met an instructor from Royal Range whose son was shooting at the same time mine was. So it was nice. funny. We kind of stood in the back and chatted about the range and stuff. So anyway, you come to Nashville, you got to go to Royal Range. Yeah, I mean, It's just to. A very yeah. cool. Definitely we'll cool. have to go out there, but um, we're not here to talk about Royal Range. We're here to talk about <laughs> your new your new. Action thriller novel Scott Harveth uh, in yep. Deadfall, and I know we're not going to spoil it or anything, but uh, you know we're just going to tease it a little bit and you know mm -hmm. wet the whistle for our listeners. So Perfect. I will I will let you do that. So you want to kick us off and tell us tell us what hey, Scott's well, getting into this this episode. So 
Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. And thank you. Uh, I tell everybody that my books are like the James Bond movies, that if you've never seen a Bond movie before, you can go to the theater tomorrow and see the latest one and you will not be left behind. So if you haven't read a Brad Thor thriller before, you can start with Deadfall. And I grew up loving World War II thrillers. I mean, I read Clancy and all that kind of stuff, but my books, I always stole from my parents. Like my parents would finish reading them and I'd read them. And I was probably reading at a level I shouldn't have been as young as I was. Um, but like Alistair McLean, Where Eagles Dare, and they made a great movie out of it with Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton about going up this castle that the Nazis had. And I always wanted to take my protagonist, Scott Harvath, and drop him into a land war in Europe, except none existed until the war in Ukraine. And I thought, boy, wouldn't it be interesting if there were some Americans that got caught inside that conflict and uh, the United States wanted to get uh, a hostage out, but couldn't commit uh, U.S. forces because it would be an escalation with the Russians. It would show that American boots had been put on the ground and now all of a sudden the United States is officially in the war. So how might you send send an operator, America's top spy, over to rescue an American from this war zone uh, where the Ukrainians can't spare anybody. So I was kind of teasing this out. How would you do it? How would you do it? I was talking with buddies of mine, and I figured out a way. And so I have a rogue unit in the Wagner Russian mercenary force that is committing war crimes all across Ukraine. And my guys sent in to rescue an American hostage and to wipe out this unit, uh, if at all possible. And that's the, that's the genesis for Deadfall. Yeah, and it is very exciting. I can I can tell you that you you build up the action, so you don't disappoint. Uh, I know that Brian has read probably most of your your novels, your books. Uh, he's probably a little more astute on the past <laughs> episodes, but uh, I'm really digging this, and this is this is the one that's got me hooked on on your writings now. So this is the first one that I've read, and I absolutely love it. So. Scott Harvath uh, has been added to my uh, James Reese and Bob Lee Swagger and yep. and all those guys list. So, uh, thank yeah. you. Have you yeah. gotten to the rifle that Harvath carries in this thing? Because the, uh, the Galil. Yeah, because that was recommended. I asked a buddy of mine who is uh, an operator and who does some interesting kind of sneaky peeky stuff. I said, if you had to go in, what would you want to carry? And so he recommended the Galil because he said, you're not going to stand out with that. You're going to find tons of extra magazines all over the place for it. And I thought that was an interesting choice because I could have obviously gone with an AK and it would have just looked like right. everybody else's weapon over there. But he's like, nah, here's why I like the Galil and bang, bang, bang. So that that kind of stuff is what I like to do with thrillers, too, because I'm a firearms enthusiast myself. Yeah, I was glad to when I read that part, you know, and then you went and it's the 7.62 version of the, the mm -hmm. Galil. And I was like, that makes sense. Uh, just for all the points that you pointed out. And then you go through in really good detail and explaining, you know, why the Galil, just like you did there, you go in and explain, uh, you know, the certain nuances of why he has certain equipment and, and gear. And you know, I really mm -hmm. like that. This is one of the things that I like best about your books is that you can go read John Le Carre and some older Clancy and get this really slow burn and learn a lot but it is just tedious at times. And I'm a nerd who loves learning tedious stuff, but when I, there are times when I want to be entertained as well. And I think you draw probably the best, I think the best balance out of any of the thriller writers out there at educating your reader while keeping them entertained. And the Wagner group, you've had Scott Harvath dealing with them for at 
almost, I think almost a decade here. You, you introduced the first place I ever heard of the Wagner group was in an older Scott Harbeth book. And, uh, you know, the New York times is just publishing pieces like a week ago. Who is this shadowy Wagner group? And it's like, Hey guys, you know, these guys have been around a long time. And, uh, I, I, I pride myself on trying to be pretty well informed and, um, you know, obviously since knowing the name and the very first whispers of it in the war, I went off and researched a whole lot more, but I think readers can definitely expect themselves to get smarter through reading your books, both with the exposure to weapons, but also global politics and some trade craft and stuff like that, that really keeps it fun. And it's, you're not just consuming pulp and, um, like, yeah, you can go off and find a thriller where you'll be entertained, entertained the whole time, but it's fast food. And um, I think that's one of the best aspects of your writing. I told you he was a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's, it's high praise. I really appreciate it. You, you know, my job, first and foremost, is to entertain you. It's, you know, the book in the hand, toes in the sand. I want you to take it to the beach, take it to the lake, read it in a weekend, read it in one sitting. Uh, but if you close the book a little bit smarter, uh, you know, it's not an instruction manual. My job's not to teach you anything. My job's to entertain you. But I think one of the value adds with a Brad Thor thriller is that you do close it smarter. You, you realize at the end, wow, I learned a couple of things and I want to know some more about that. That's why I call what I do faction where you don't know where the facts end and the fiction begins. And, uh, for me, getting the details right is so important. I mean, my dad's no longer active Marine. Uh, he told me if you're going to push a broom, be the best broom pusher in the world. So, you know, I'm constantly trying to find ways to top myself each year with each book. And I, I'm doing little twists, little turns of the, jeweler's screwdriver and the reader might not notice it, but I know I've been working on it and working on my plotting and my character development because I want, I want the people, somebody who gives you 30 bucks for a hardcover, they can go out and work extra and make the 30 bucks back. But what they can't make back is their time. So when somebody reads a Brad Thor thriller, you're entrusting me with the most precious commodity that you have because it's finite. It's your time. You could be spending that with your significant other, with your kids, with your friends. So it's really incumbent upon me to give you the absolute best white knuckle thrill ride I'm capable of, but also to get the details right. That's why I've got, you know, SEAL team members and guys at the unit and uh, the CIA and all of these different places reading the books is because I take the time to get the stuff right. And Elmore Leonard was famous for saying to young writers, the best piece of advice he could give them is leave out the parts that people skip. So my dad was a big Clancy fan, but he swore to God that Clancy got paid by the word because <laughs> yes. the books were so yes. thick and so dense. I don't want to know how a missile guidance system works. All I want to know is I got a couple of green berets that have got a laser and they're, they're lasing the side of the target and the missile's going to hit it because that's what the laser's pointing at. Boom, I'm good. That's all I need. I don't need to know about gyroscopes and the angle of the fins on the missile. No, I'm good. Just the laser and bam, it hits. So speaking yeah. of your, your details in the book, the, the places that you describe uh, in your book, are, they're actual real places, too. I looked up a couple of mm -hmm. those restaurants that, um, that you'd put in there, and, uh, and they actually had websites, and you could, you know, they were real legitimate places. So I really like that, because as I'm going through and you're, you know, you're talking about certain places, certain areas, you can actually look them up, and then it gives you a lot better mental picture of, of what the, the character's going through there. I really appreciated that. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. That's part of the, that's part of the 
honesty, the detail in the books, right? So I try to go as many places as possible. Uh, and if I can't go, uh, like if it's, you know, I went to Afghanistan back in 08 during the war and everything. If I can't go to a location, I want to talk to particularly when it's countries and cities and things like that. Restaurants, like I think you're talking about a couple that are in D.C., one's right across from the FBI, kind of kitty no, corner. these were it's, in, um, I think in Russia. They were in Russia, a couple of oh, Russian. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Russian those, restaurants. Those. So if I can't go to one, I want to talk to a colleague or a contact of mine who is operated in one of those countries who you know, is in the intelligence game or special operations community where their life depended upon – in the success of their mission depended upon noticing details. So to give you a, a, a what if, I did the Congo once and uh, I wasn't going to go to the Congo. I, you couldn't pay me enough money to go to the Congo. I had no interest to go. But I got plugged in with a Green Beret who had been over there. And he said, okay, Thor, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm looking for color detail, you know, something to make it interesting. And he goes, dude, I'm going to give you like 30 more seconds. If you don't get specific with me, this phone conversation's over. I'm sure you're a nice guy, but I took this call as a favor. And I said, okay, okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, do they all have one kind of bike in the Congo? And this guy goes, oh my God. Yeah. They all have one bike and it's called the black Mamba. And I'm like, are you serious? I just made up. Do they all have the same kind of bike? He goes, yeah. And I said, why do they call it the Black Mamba? And he said, well, all the bikes are black and the tires leave this mark through the dust in the dirty streets, the, the dirt nice. roads that looks like a Black Mamba snake has gone through there. And I put that in my in my book. And then I had people like hit me up on Facebook like – how long were you in Congo for? Because only somebody who's been to Congo knows what a black mamba bicycle is. So yeah, if I can't do it, I want somebody who's been there uh, and done it. So I'm glad you like seeing the restaurants and stuff. That came from a buddy yeah. of mine who worked at our embassy uh, over in Moscow. Okay. Yeah, the the restaurants were, like I said, they had legit. They had websites. This one even had like a 3D. Uh -huh. uh, it was a super high-end. It, it was nice. I didn't look up uh, the shit face one. Uh, Whatever trans the Russian name that translates to, to that's in, that's inspired. You know, I ran that I ran that place uh, a little ragged. I was not exactly super polite in talking about the bootleg booze and that kind of stuff. So that place, <laughs> I changed the name to protect the potentially okay. guilty. It's based loosely on. Uh, I'm like, what are they going to do? Sue me? Those that that scuzzy bar in Moscow. But I still didn't want to name them. Uh, but it does have a. They might try to uh, poison it, you though. <laughs> but well, yeah, yeah, it, but it. Captures the feel of the particular bar that I heard of over there. That's a little bit uh, on the other side of the tracks. Let's sketchy. say in yeah. Moscow, skanky. Hey there, Leadhead Brigade. Lefty here with some important news for you. Forecasters from the University of Arizona warn that 2023 will be a very active hurricane season, and they're asking people to get prepared. They're expecting the number of major hurricanes this year to be similar to 2017, which saw the extremely intense and damaging hurricanes that we all heard about, Harvey. Irma, and that nasty old Maria. How bad can it get? Well, when Hurricane Ida hit the Gulf Coast, it destroyed countless homes and left many without access to food, clean water, millions lost power. Most didn't have power for weeks. The floods that followed the hurricane washed out the roads, made it impossible for grocery stores to restock their shelves. Families were left hungry and desperate, waiting for help that was slow to arrive. But what if you didn't have to be reliant on the government, FEMA, your neighbor, grocery stores during these crises? The answer is simple. Be prepared with emergency food kits from 4Patriots. Their long-lasting, delicious food options are specifically designed to provide you and your loved ones with the sustenance you need when you need it the most. 
Four Patriot Survival Food Kits are hand-packed in the USA. They last 25 years. They come packed inside covert storage totes. They include a wide variety of delicious breakfasts, lunches, dinners. They've even got some snacks that are tasty. And they're backed by thousands of five-star customer reviews. Just go check out their website, 4patriots.com, and read them for yourself. 4Patriots Survival Food is not just for natural disasters. Because in today's world of uncertain supply chains and unpredictable emergencies, it's more important than ever to have a backup plan. Whether it's a temporary power outage, a winter blizzard, or rising food costs, which we're all feeling that these days, right? You can rest easy knowing that you have a reliable source of food to see you through it. And right now, you can go to 4 and use this exclusive code, LEADHEAD, all caps, LEADHEAD, one word, to get 10% off your first purchase on anything in the store, not just their food kits. So go check them out, 4Patriots.com. Use the code LEADHEAD to get 10% off your first purchase of 4Patriots Survival Food. That's 4Patriots.com, guys. Use the code LEADHEAD and get that 10% off. Exactly. Now, you, um, in your, growing up, I want, I want our listeners to learn a little bit more about you, the ones who aren't familiar with you. You're from Chicago originally. Mm-hmm. Had to move. Can't afford the ammo anymore. I don't know if you've seen the cost of hollow points lately. Had to get out. Couldn't afford to live downtown Chicago. Yeah, yep. yeah. Well, it's coming down everywhere else. But um, uh, then you moved to Salt Lake City. Lived there for a while. Mm-hmm. Park City. We're up in the mountains. My wife was a doctor for Park the City, U.S. ski yeah. team, and we lived up in the mountains. Yep. And now you're in good old Tennessee, right here. Yes, the Volunteer State. Yep. yep. Volunteer State. Uh, you attended USC College? University of Southern California. Yep. Out in California. Yep. What was your course of study there? So I studied creative writing in film and television production. Which is that how you got into the travel TV show that that you did? Yep. I I loved it. I loved to travel and uh, I'd actually saved a bunch of money so that when I got out of college, I could write my first novel and I started it. I, I moved overseas and got a couple chapters into it. And I was like, ah, I don't know if this is for me. And I shipped my laptop back home and I traveled on a budget with a backpack. And I was like, this would make a great TV show because at that time it was just Rick Steves on public television. That's all you'd see. And it was catering to a much older audience than me. Um, and I thought travel made me a better American. I, I certainly appreciated my country even more seeing it from outside, looking back, realizing how good I had it. And so I ended up uh, starting a travel television series for public television. I was the host, the writer, the producer. It aired coast to coast for several years. And on my honeymoon, my wife asked me, she said, you know, what would you regret on your deathbed never having done? And I said, actually writing a book and getting it published. And she said, okay, well, you've got some downtime now from the TV show. When we get home, why don't you start writing a couple hours every day and make that dream come true? And God bless her, that inspiration. Is she in the film entertainment uh, industry? No, so. she's a she's a family practice doctor. I wanted to marry Meg Ryan, and I married Meg Ryan. Cute doctor, got you beautiful a sugar doctor. mama. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, so you can do that expensive habit that you have of writing, right? <laughs> right, bourbon and bourbon and all my firearms. Exactly. I'm not I'm not a cheap man to keep. I'm very expensive. <laughs> We're about the the same age. Um, did you did you grow up watching Mutual of Omaha? You remember Wild that show? Kingdom, Marlon Wild Kingdom. Perkins. Marlon, you know yeah. I did. Is that kind of what got you into wanting to travel and see the world? Because that's what my, that's what nailed it for me. 
Well, for me, my dad, uh, my dad's a no longer active Marine and my mom was a flight attendant back in the sixties, the global days of air travel for TWA. So I had, my dad saw the world with the Marine Corps. It got him out of the South side of Chicago. Uh, they, they took him around the world and my mom saw the world with TWA. So it's genetically, it's been in my bloodstream. And so they took us traveling as kids and TWA, huh? TWA, absolutely. Did she ever have a run-in with that Frank Abig Abignale? Is that his name? <laughs> uh, yeah, catch me if you can. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio played him in the in the movie. Yeah, no, not interesting that I, character. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, she never she never mentioned that. She got locked up though. She got locked up uh -oh. in a. Uh, I think she got. I can't remember if it was Saudi or Franco's Spain, but she got locked up. I think it was Spain. I think she got locked in a jail because she and some of the other flight attendants she was on leave with had bought some uh, hot dogs for a bunch of poor street kids. And that was considered a no-no to feed the poor street kids. And oh I can't gosh. remember if that was Saudi or Spain. It was one of the – it Don't was a repressive regime, whichever – which one. So I obviously. think it fits both. Yeah. Don't feed the wild yeah. animals, huh? It's, yeah, don't 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 perform an act of kindness for the less fortunate in the country. That's what that government exists for is to starve them to death, I guess. But oh, good yeah. for your mom. Good for her. Good for her. Tough lady. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the travel show is that uh, is that where you've seen a lot of different places and been able to get you know a lot of the detail for your books in some of these places. Particularly the first book, The Lions of Lucerne, because uh, I really it was. On my honeymoon that my wife asked me that question, so uh, about what would you want to do? And uh, when we got by the time we got to Lucerne, I knew that I, I was going to write the book and I was going to set it in uh, partly in Switzerland. So I really took a ton of notes and and all that kind of stuff during the uh, during the Swiss part of our honeymoon. So, yeah, that book, I, I grew up my dad exposed me to some really great classic stuff. And one of them was the writings of Trevanian and the Iger sanction. Mm -hmm. And the scenes in that book are, that book is just a, it's, it's, I'd not seen anything like it until I picked up the Lions of Lucerne. Oh. That was actually what hooked me on you. Cause you really channeled, I don't know, not to say you were consciously channeling it, but there's something about Switzerland and the Alps and espionage and, just that really goes together and um yeah big i i think i would recommend to our listeners who wanted to start and really dig india that book is is really they're all they, you've never had a dud but that book it really has some fire in it i mean 23 uh, I, 23 novels man and that's the one that kicked it all off was the lines of lucerne and mm -hmm. uh you hit the ground running i mean you're bestseller right out of the gate how's that how's that feel how is that possible <laughs> yeah well you know i hit a regional bestseller list uh when i started so that was great i mean it took me several books i think i was five books in before i hit the new york times list yeah um so it, it wasn't overnight i mean hit some bestseller list but built and i had a great team behind me i've been at simon and schuster my entire career that's the loyal midwesterner in me, uh, you treat me well. I will. I'll stay loyal. I'll stick around. You know, it's not. Uh, it's not in my uh, DNA to be constantly, you know, jumping to the next deal and all that kind of stuff. I love the people that I work with, and I'm blessed to work with some of the best people in the business. So, 
Lines of Lucerne was a fun book. I'm glad that you drew the comparison to the Iger sanction because my wife and I uh, loved the book, loved the Clint Eastwood movie, which was fantastic. Yeah. It was a great adaptation. Um, I, I just found out that uh, the home that the main character has in that book that Clint Eastwood plays is actually in Carmel where he was mayor and Eastwood was mayor in that it's owned by some like poetry foundation. It's kind of a museum type thing. You can go and check it out. So next time well, talk about not being able to afford hollow points, San Francisco is not as bad as, uh, as Chicago, but it isn't, uh, it isn't much better. I don't know how soon I'll be in Northern California again, but it's something I want to see for sure. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, that was a great movie. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, so, so we went there. Eastern. My wife and I went to the base of the Eiger, and there is a hotel there that they use in the movie where everybody hangs out to watch the climbers summit the uh, summit the Eiger. And so we went to that hotel. We couldn't afford to stay there. Uh, you know, we were just newlyweds. But I got to go check it out and took a bunch of pictures there. It's a really, really cool cool spot beautiful beautiful switzerland's just gorgeous i mean you can never go wrong you climb with, the mountain? Uh, uh you know what my stuff not no i mean i did i did stuff where you could walk up it you yeah. know maybe scree is the worst stuff you were going to hit on the way up when i lived in utah a lot of hiking but uh i had a cousin who was a big climber and i had gone climbing with him once in joshua tree and that was good i scratched that itch and and that was good yeah i'm not a i'm not a big ropes guy i don't like hanging off the ground <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've done parasailing i've done lots of other really really cool cool things uh or paragliding i should say not parasailing i've done parasailing did that in mexico and down in florida pulled behind the boat but i've done paragliding i did that in switzerland but yeah i did the climbing thing once and that was that was enough for me it just it's a lot of work and uh, I didn't exactly, it's not my, not my jam to hang of off the side of a rock. I've heard you, um, tell other interviewers and shows that, you know, you get a lot of your content by buying a lot of steak dinners mm -hmm. and pitchers, pitchers of, of beer, pitchers of beer. Um, what would you say is the best steak dinner or pitcher of beer that you, uh, ever invested in? Oh, it's a great question. You know what? I, Every single one of them is good because that's planting a seed. That's that's putting cement in the bricks of a relationship. So when I say that I buy a lot of steak dinners and buy a lot of pitchers of beer, I I like to take people who are very well experienced in the intelligence world, law enforcement, special operations community, the military, government. Uh, I like to go out and buy dinners and buy pitchers of beer and listen and just hear the way they talk and what do they talk about and all that kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, I can't say that one great idea for a book came out of any one of those things, but all of that goes into kind of the, the, the crock pot of my mind and it all simmers and it stews in there and it could be years later that I'll pull something out. I mean, writers are these weird repositories of facts. We're like fly paper for freaky, weird pieces of information. <laughs> and it's, uh, you never know when you're going to pull a fly off the fly paper and, and, and need it at uh, some point in the future. So that's a great, nobody's ever asked me that question. It's a great question. I wish I had like a, oh yeah, my seventh book came from, right. you know, a $200 steak dinner at blah, 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 in New York city. But I don't have one of those, unfortunately. Right. What well, about, maybe I can interrogate you on one idea that I thought was brilliant and it was a a couple a couple books back i'm blanking on the exact one i believe the book opens at burning man and yeah, there are some muslim extremists okay yes right um 
thought that was so out of left field and also wickedly smart. And I'm wondering if you don't mind sharing uh, how you came up with that particular scene and idea. And there were some there were some interesting details with Sigint in all of that. Uh, yeah. Do you mind laying that one on us? Well, so it's very interesting because uh, use of force ended up uh, ended up causing a security review in the United States government. So uh, I believe it was the Washington Post that did an article about how the government had read my thriller use of force and all of a sudden we're like, oh, crap, we've got our pants down, so to speak, at Burning Man. The security's not good enough there. When Burning Man is packed out, this annual kind of uh, festival in the Black Rock Desert in Nevada, when it's packed out with people, the density, it's more dense than the city of London. And so you can get a very – with certain kinds of attacks, you could get a very high body count very quickly because the people are so close together. And uh, it's not, it's so weird. A lot of people in costume and I shouldn't say weird, it's different. So your regular, you know, small town America people, it it looks very unusual. And it is to a certain degree. There's a lot of semi-nudity and wild costumes and wild art installations, but it has a very commune kind of feel to it. People don't charge for food and all this kind of stuff you're supposed to share with everybody. So it's a very trusting environment. So if you're unusual, you're not unusual there. If you're a bad guy, you're unless you're really like stabbing somebody, you're not going to nobody's going to narc on you at this thing. <laughs> everybody just accepts everybody else. So it's it's a bad guy's dream. So I wanted to set a terror attack there and that's that's what I did. Uh, I'm happy to answer specific questions if you if you've got them about the book, but that's just kind of the book in a in a nutshell, use of force. Yeah, no, it's just uh how I, trying to reverse engineer how you even thought of it is sort of the question. Um, and yet <laughs> I came across Burning Man. I was a, going to my freshman year at college at UC Santa Cruz. I was from New England and I'd been driving, you know, 20 hours a day and I show up, I just get gas in the middle of Nevada and I'm a little spaced out. And all of a sudden a silver Volkswagen minibus rolls up at the pump opposite me. And dudes in bumblebee costumes with the antennae and everything (laughs) hop out of it. And it was one of those moments, like there was no real internet yet. There was America online and that kind of thing. And I looked at them like they had three heads, which they did. And that was yet for small, like you were saying, small town Americans. um, It is like you're on Mars when you run across these folks. And um, I don't know if you happen to remember how you thought of what a sweet target that was. That was the very specific question. Well, so I was looking into, I was interested in, there's a certain amount of geometry that gets used putting Burning Man together. There's a whole way they lay it out. So I'm really into, okay, what's really going on here and what's the underlying meaning and are there any secrets? Is there a bigger message to the way they lay the the whole town uh, that they create out. And so I thought, okay, this is intriguing as a thriller writer. Plus I, I think very cinematically. So I thought nobody's ever used this for a book or a movie before. And it would be so cool. And it gave me a chance to put my hero in a really wild costume. And, uh, it got, it, it allowed me to put a lot of stuff in my browser history that my wife probably wouldn't have liked if it wasn't for <laughs> research. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I bought a couple of books, some coffee table books. There's a lot of, uh, let's say clothing is, it's there, but it's optional. It's not a total full on nudist thing, but uh, it, it is, you get a lot of attractive people that go to this thing. And uh, I just, for me, I, I could see it play out in my mind as a movie. And I just thought it was so right. dramatic and so cool. And that's what I'm trying to bring my readers. I'm trying to bring them really dramatic, really cool stuff they haven't seen before. And so I'm constantly on the on the hunt for the cool and the new and the fresh. Even though Burning Man had been around for a while, I think I had a lot of readers that were unfamiliar with it. And I certainly loved I, – I liked that the government – was reading the books and that they took it seriously and were like, wow, you know what? Thor's onto something. We, we may need to figure out a way to kind of tighten up the security of Burning Man to protect the, the people that go to that festival. So I'm glad that happened. Yeah, that's very, that's a good public service. You know, you're in good company with Tom Clancy. I think that's how he got famous with Reagan red, red October and said, Hey, why is this guy not on our team? Yeah. And so it's it's very cool that the government has learned from that and rolled you in because it you've ex, yeah you exposed an obvious hole there and uh, or not obvious once you see it it's obvious and yeah. that's the well, the really let's cool talk part about for, that that organization that you were invited uh, to be a part of uh, the Department of Defense the Red Cell program I know you've talked about it uh, you know quite a bit uh, on other interviews but um, how how do they go about choosing someone for that program? You know, it's funny. Speaking of movies, it was like straight out of a movie. I was hiking in the uh, High Uintas in Utah, and I was in an area with no cell service, no bars at all, and my cell phone rang, which is amazing. Oh, wow. And I got asked if I would like to come to D.C. and be part of this program. It was me, Michael Bay, the director of the Benghazi movie and the Transformers movies, uh, and a bunch of other people. And the idea was come this was post 9/11 and uh, they wanted us to come to DC and help the government all the agencies in the soup any three letter group you could think of uh, to help them think outside the box you, one of the things that uh, you you see throughout history is a lot of militaries will fight kind of in the rearview mirror expecting the next war to be like the last war mm -hmm. and so uh, even before the 9/11 commission report came out the US government knew that 9-11 had happened because of a failure of imagination on our part. So under the Bush administration, they were convinced, or they were determined, I should say, to never allow a failure of imagination to put Americans at risk again. So they said, listen, we need to get people from outside the DC beltway into DC to help us think differently. And so that's what they did. They brought us in. I call it the Las Vegas of government programs because what happens in the red cell stays in the red cell. Uh, I, I cannot use any of that material for my books. Uh, I can't talk about specific things that happened there. There was only one scenario that they ever published and that we're allowed to talk about and one of the things they looked at was how terrorists might take advantage of an approaching hurricane to target Americans, particularly hitting shelters and then the marshalling yards where they move equipment out of the path of the hurricane, where they've got buses and dump trucks and bulldozers and tow trucks and all that kind of stuff they may need in the aftermath of the hurricane. They'll assemble it someplace else. So might terrorists hit that? How might terrorists hit the marshalling yards? How might they hit uh, uh, hurricane shelters? That kind of a thing. Yeah. So that's just one very bland example of they what just, the government was looking at. Do they at. throw you guys in a room all together and, and just let you go at it and start start spitballing, brainstorming together, or do they give you a certain direction? 
So it's it's kind of a combination of both. I mean, you have to be very careful with artists because it's like herding cats. Uh, you have to work very hard to keep artists on track and to get where you want. So squirrel. Uh, yeah. So squirrel, yeah. What was that squirrel? Uh, so sometimes they would say, "What are you guys thinking about? What what targets are would you be looking at within the United States? What American interests and targets and places American tourists and American workers abroad? Where do they gather that you're worried about?" Or uh, there were times where you get fed scraps. And you'd wonder, are we actually helping to crack some kind of a case? Uh, we've got a pair of, I'll just throw this out there. Uh, we've got a pair of Michael Jordan shoes that were found, like Jordan basketball shoes that have been purchased at a shoe store in San Diego that turned up in Jakarta. Uh, we've got a cell phone that was thrown off a ship as it was crossing uh, the Straits of Hormuz. And then we've got uh, an old uh, VHS tape that we found in what we think is a safe house in Finland. How would all those things connect if you were writing a book or doing a movie? Connect you know, us. like how would you beautiful mind this thing out and tie, you know, do the murder board and tie all the pieces of yarn to everything? So it was kind of a, a juggling act, but it was, you know, listen, my dad's a Marine and it was such an honor for me to be asked to serve my country, not by picking up a rifle, but by using the gray matter between my ears to try to help keep my my fellow citizens safe, serve the country and, and keep the United States three to four steps ahead of the bad guys. And I will say this, that one of the scenarios that I came up with inside the red cell uh, unit, it actually came to pass. And so there was an attack that I predicted that happened halfway around the world. Oh, wow. And so I called my guy in the red cell and I said, listen, this is all over the news. I was on at that time. I was on Fox News all the time talking about terrorist stuff. I said, can I go on Fox and tell them that we actually developed this scenario in the red cell? And they said, nope, <laughs> we don't acknowledge anything. We don't deny. We don't. It's like the Sergeant Schultz. You know, I know nothing, nothing from Hogan's <laughs> Heroes. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to go out and talk about it, but it was. Um, you know, it was chilling, uh, that this attack actually, cause you come up with these creative ideas and you hope they're never going to happen. And then one does, and you're like, Oh wow. Well, it seems so like it you, would... and I say you, I'm talking about, you know, you've action thriller authors, you literary guys, you know, like Jack and Steven and Kyle, and you, you seem to have a crystal ball because these books that you write, you know, it's, they seem to somehow, some way happen you know, a year or a few months later or something like that. And I know, you know, the Ukraine war is going on right now, but you were writing this book far in advance of when all that went down. I mean, the war had started. So when I got when I got involved uh, writing this book, when I decided the war was the war was underway. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, Francis Fukuyama, the author, says that history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And uh, when the Wagner mercenary group, Hitler's uh, Hitler, uh, Putin's uh, there's a Freudian slip. I am going to get to Hitler, <laughs> but to attribute it to Putin. I'm not that far out of the ballpark. Uh, when the Wagner mercenary group started recruiting from the worst prisons in Russia in real life and insane asylums, I was reminded of the worst SS brigade that Hitler threw at Poland between August and October of 1944. There was a unit like this that recruited out of prisons, and it was headed by this horrific guy. This guy that headed this SS brigade was so evil that even his fellow Nazis hated him. Do you know what a bad guy you've got to be to have the Nazis look at you and go, you're a bad guy. You're not a good man. You're nuts. So yeah. – uh, 
I, I, you know, you can see this stuff kind of coming. If you're the mind's like a parachute, it's got to be open to work. And I, I don't look, you know, like I, you know, people talk about glass half full, glass half empty. I want to put the glass on a glass table and look coffee table and crawl underneath the table and look up and see what does the glass look like from underneath. I'm always trying to turn things on their head and ask, what if this, what if that, what if we thought it was this, but it's that. So I'm a voracious consumer of news and I'm constantly putting it through these interesting filters in my mind. And so a, a lot of times I do end up writing about stuff that ends up happening in the headlines, you know, six months later, a year later, or like with this book, uh, a lot of what's happening in this thriller is playing out now in the headlines. You know, we had the Wagner yeah. group march on uh, Moscow and everything and pulled the plug less than 200 miles away. But my goal is, again, to entertain people. These are not this is not dry stuff. This is fun edge of your seat, white knuckle stuff. And you can pick up any of my books, you know, even if I wrote it 15 years ago, you can pick it up and still have a really good evergreen uh, thrill ride. And that's, I, I kind of liken what I do to having a, a an amusement park. Mm. Every year I build a new ride in the amusement park. Some people are like, oh, that one's always going to be my favorite. It's the first one I ever read, or read, so it's my first favorite ride. Or man, the rides keep getting better. They get scarier, more loops and you know, so it's it's uh, it's a fun it's a fun business. I'm very blessed to be able to do what I do. The multi mount is a simple yet flexible platform that allows you to conveniently mount your everyday items wherever you may need them. A rugged 1.5 inch belt locks into the mount, allowing the attachment of any item that uses a clip or belt loop. With the quick release tab, you can easily swap out essential gear as needed. Ideal for mounting comms, tourniquets, lights, firearms, and more. The options are almost limitless. The platform comes with two backer options, either 3M adhesive or cook backing, giving you adaptability and endless options on where you can mount your needed items. Access your essential equipment in your preferred configuration. Carry what you need, where you need, with our multi-mount platform, available now. For your exclusive Talking Lead listener discount, use the code LEADHEAD for 20% off at checkout. So I've heard you uh, on other shows talk about, and, and you may be tired of talking about this, but and I don't want to hex it at all, you know, knock on wood, uh, the movie, you know. The movie, yeah, the TV you know what? I series. do get this what, question is that a lot, in the works? and people are like, "When are we going to see a movie?" When I have no control, it's Hollywood, so I can't. You know, I have no idea. Um, we've got we're at a studio right now, and we've got a fabulous team, and we had to pause. We were about ready to have our meetings at Amazon and Apple and Netflix to pitch it. And we had to pause for the writer strike, and then a week ago Sunday, our lead writer died. Oh, dang. poor guy had pancreatic cancer. He was the his name is Manny Cotto. Parents fled from Cuba. This guy, you know, his blood was red, white, and blue. And he wrote for 24 forever. I mean, this is the, the wow. you love that series with Kiefer Sutherland, 24. It's because of Manny Cotto. I mean, Manny was just awesome. And so we were really thrilled to, to nail Manny as the writer to do my TV show. And sadly, he passed, which is, yeah, we'll find another writer. We won't find another Manny Cotto which yeah. it, 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 and I don't even care. I would rather Manny had walked away from it than he had to leave this production because he passed away. I feel terrible for his, mm. his wife and his kids and his nieces and nephews and all his friends. He's just a super guy, very smart, very funny. So we're closer than we've ever been to getting something made. Now is definitely the time in Hollywood because there's so many series being made uh, and we just have to wait out the strike. 
So that's kind of where we are now. We can't approach legally. We can't approach other writers because they're not even supposed to be talking to producers and stuff. So we have to wait for the strike to end and then we can go out and interview for a new writer. And it's going to be tough. I mean, Manny was one of the best. He was an A plus writer, one of the best in the business. He leaves behind very big shoes. Yeah, that is a huge loss for the the project. Mm -hmm. And are you looking at a movie or looking at a TV series? We're looking at a TV series right now. That's what everybody's looking to do. And um, so that's that's where we are. But Hollywood is now re reshuffling. Uh, there was a great article that a writer friend shared with me about how tech has ruined uh, everything it's touched. So tech has, you know, Uber ruined the taxicab business, you know, DoorDash has ruined this and, you know, and uh, streaming has ruined that and all that kind of stuff where, uh, you know, it was all a rush to get subscribers and they were paying crazy boatloads amount of money to, uh, to, to mount these productions. And it was all about get more subscribers, get more subscribers. You know, are you turning a profit? So once this strike is over, it'll be very interesting to see what Hollywood looks like and where their focus is. Are yeah. they going to tilt back to movies? Is that going to be where they really want to be putting their big investments or are they going to stay with the TV stuff? So it's, we're in uncharted waters here. I think a little bit a of fascinating both. Time. You know, I think we'll see, we'll still, yeah. we'll still see the movies. We'll still see the, the TV streaming. Um, but I think for, for, for like what you do and you know you got 23 of these the the long series format is the the best way to go with it yeah i mean you can do a season based on each book basically and that's yep. before manny passed what we were talking about was using last summer's book as season one of the scott harvath tv show they wanted to take harvath now at this point in his career and move him forward. And then they were going to start a second series with a younger actor to play Harvath all the way back at the beginning with Lions of Lucerne. Oh, okay. So that was the idea, which was kind of cool. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We'll see. I, I remain ever, ever hopeful. But in a town filled with so many beautiful people, I have kissed every frog in Hollywood. <laughs> I'll tell you. I've been left you at know the altar people, more Brad. times than Julia Roberts and Jennifer Lopez combined. You know people. You, they're going to take care of you. This is going to get done. I, I know it will. Oh, I, I know it will. I know it will. I'm looking forward well, to I it. Well, I have high hopes for a long form. If you look at at Reacher <clears throat> and, you know, the, the not great attempts in movies early on, and then the series that they finally came out with really did justice to the character. And um, in that same vein, uh, this culture, uh, the talking lead Letty's and also some of the other gun school cultures, we have a lot of love for Jack Carr. And he has been very clear at what about what you did for him, mentoring him early on. And um, it is very rare in the gun industry. Um, and I know, but also I imagine Hollywood, it is very rare for somebody to stand up a competitor um, and to, to help them compete against their, in their same market. And, um, you know, I, I think I can speak for everybody with with some real gratitude for you that that has made so many prior service guys have rough exits and that you stepped in and made a really great exit and a lifelong dream come true for Jack. Um, all of us are very grateful to you for that. Well, I, let's let, that's very kind of you to say. Let's be clear. Jack's debut novel was fucking awesome. It was really good. Facts. I mean, I, Totally. You know, yeah, I mean, it's 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 fantastic. He came to me through one of my best friends in the SEAL teams. Uh, I got introduced to him. Listen, I opened a door. I made an introduction 
And I was very clear with Jack. I'm like, that's it, man. Once that door's open, you go in and it's all on you. You make the deal. You don't make the, that's, that's on you. I'll set it up and get, and so I introduced him to my editor and she met him. She read his manuscript, loved it. And she said to me, she said, well, what do you want me to do here? And I said, what do you mean? I said, did you like it? She goes, yeah, I really liked it. And I said, publish him. And she goes, that doesn't bother you. I said, just don't publish him on the same day you publish me. <laughs> I, 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 I have a, I have a way of looking at this. There are 365 days in the year. Mark Lindy. Greeny's not a competitor. Mark's a colleague. Jack Carr's not a competitor. He's a colleague. Okay. We are in the business of entertaining people. You know, nobody's going to watch the terminal list. 365 days out of the year. They're going to go watch Reacher. They're going to go watch Gray Man on Netflix. We are in the entertainment business, and there is no reason for us to look at each other as competitors. We can be colleagues. We can help each other out. And I think our generation, to be honest with you, uh, and I'm a little bit the elder statesman because I'm a little bit older than than Jack, although Mark Greeny and I are close in age. There's something about our our group right now that we're really into that. We're really into helping each other out. COVID became a thing where we started hosting virtually. Like, you have a new book out? Let me interview you on Zoom for all the readers. I'll bring all my readers to your new book. And yeah. then when my book comes out, you'll interview me and you'll bring all your readers. So it is such a nice way to operate, to look at people as colleagues rather than competitors. It starts with the letter C, but it's a completely different mindset. And it's much healthier. And you know yep. what's really cool? Readers love it. If I had a dollar oh, yeah. for everybody to post on Facebook going, Thor, you know what? You're a class act. And it's like, it feels like the right thing to do. I like these guys. You know, they're welcome yeah. in my home. Uh, yeah, yeah, I sit down and I have drinks with them. I really Happy enjoyed to, your uh, interview you did on Jack's podcast, Danger Close. That was a really yeah, that was fun. Yeah, it seemed like you guys were having a good time. But that it's genuine. You can tell that you guys actually like each other and and the sincerity in you helping him and, you know, the, the humbleness that he's, uh, you know, bestowed to you is just, it's sincere and you can tell it and you hear it. Like I've had Jack on the, on this show several times and, you know, there's not a time goes by that he doesn't mention you and how grateful he is no, um, an awesome that, guy. that you got the doors open for him. And uh, I've had Kyle Mills on the show. Um, <laughs> Stephen Hunter. I knew Kyle before I was an author. So my dad's dearest friend was like a godfather to me was in the FBI with Kyle's dad. And every year in Sun Valley, Idaho, they would have this FBI conference with the major city police chiefs. And I would go and see, uh, see Gary, my, my godfather and Gary's wife. And that's how I got to meet Kyle and his wife and his wife. Uh, nice. So it was really funny. I've known him. And then when I wrote my first book, I asked Kyle for a blurb and I got a blurb from Kyle, one from Nelson DeMille and one from Vince Flynn. And they were oh, the wow. three people that taught me about being kind and supportive of other writers. So I really learned from three great writers on uh, how to treat other writers and to be supportive. So very lucky that those people helped me get started. So why wouldn't I want to kind of not even pay it forward, pay it backwards? You know, it's it, did you get not? to spend Take any time with DeMille? No, it's really funny. I have chatted with Nelson. I have never met Nelson in person. Really? And he gave me a blurb. My first book came out in January of 2002. And I have never had, I've never been in the same place, same time with Nelson. And it's, it's, it's something I want to change this year. Are you going to start a podcast so you can have him on your podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you guys have got the podcast uh, world covered. I don't think the world needs a podcast from me. 
I think we're good. <laughs> you just travel around and be on everybody else's podcast, right? There you go. Why not, right? It's yeah. less stress. I don't have to produce it. I've already been a producer. I know how hard it is to put together a production. I've, I'm happy working on the books. So you're talking about your travel show. That That's the one that you produced. That, mm-hmm. Um, there's some other ones out now. There's one, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's like Expedition something. I can't remember, but. It's a really good kind of a, but he's more of an archaeological kind of kind of travel show where he's going to these you, different. You know what my favorite one is? Which one? It's freaking hysterical. Netflix travels with my father, Jack Whitehall, who's oh. the British comedian, and his dad, who's funnier than he is. Out <laughs> that first season, I I can watch that repeatedly, and I have tears running down my face. I'm laughing so hard at the that. way the old man makes fun of his kid. Oh. It, it travels with my father is one of the funniest, funniest travel shows I've ever seen. Now, is your father still alive? Yes, he is. And uh, I've heard you talk in other shows about him and how he, uh, you guys like to, you know, pick on each other and and um, whatnot. My brother and I joke about my dad being the great Santini. Man, yeah, Santini. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. <laughs> what's one of the? Like my brother will throw something waves. at me and say, "Who's my favorite daughter?" You know, my brother does all the lines from the movie. Yeah, my dad's a great guy. Very, very funny. Very funny. Okay. Real tough, but funny. And I know that you know with his career in the in the military as a marine, you guys probably traveled around quite a bit. No, he was out. He was, oh, he was out already by out. the time I was born. He went to school on the GI Bill and met my mom and she had just come out of TWA. Oh, wow. So they met both when they were uh, changing up their lives in downtown Chicago. What's one of the the greatest family vacations that you guys went on together? Oh, that's a great, great question. You know, my dad took us to my dad took us to Europe when I was a junior in high school. And I think that really that's European where the vacation. travel bug really bit me. <laughs> yeah. No, it was yeah, European vacation. We joked, we called ourselves the Griswolds the nice. entire time. And uh I remember my dad, he's so funny. We had rented because every every car over in Germany is a Mercedes and it had the mono wiper. And this thing could throw so much, uh, so much fluid out of it. It was insane. And I remember pulling up next to an outdoor cafe, and my dad goes, "Don't look to the right. Don't look at the people in there." And my dad turns on the wiper, and it just threw all of this, uh, all of this windshield fluid over into the cafe, and people are, like, ah. and we just cracked up. He had always was a prankster and a really funny guy. So that was a, that was a good, that was a good trip. That was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. What about you and your family? What's uh, what's one of your greatest vacations that you've taken your family on? You know what? We we had no idea COVID was coming and that everything was going to lock down. Who and did? in 2019, yeah. uh, so at that point, it was during the Trump administration and the ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, had been a longtime friend of mine. And Rick said, hey, when your kids get out of school, would you like to come over to Berlin, stay at the ambassador's residence and, you know, let your kids see Berlin and all that kind of stuff. And it was amazing. And the ambassador's residence is really, really cool because it's in this very green forested area outside kind of the downtown of the city. And I, what an incredible experience to give my children to stay at the ambassador's residence. Oh, yeah. uh, the one other thing that we did that was that cool is uh, I've been a longtime friend of uh, former Governor Rick Perry from Texas. And I met Rick Perry through my dear friend Mark LaRue, uh, the the rifle maker oh, yeah. and, uh, out of Leander, Texas. Do you have a do you have a predator up there? Got a LaRue over there. 
<laughs> yeah, I got a bunch. If, if we do this from my cl- uh, my gun room, oh, you'll see how it. many LaRue's I've got. We're going to do but, it. But so I got to take my kids to the uh, to the governor's mansion to visit uh, Governor Perry for a weekend. And we got to stay in the mansion in Austin. And my wife and I got to sleep in Sam Houston's bed, which was kind of cool. Oh, neat. Yeah, 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 it was really so. Some of those, some of those, because of my involvement in politics and the the friends that I've made, uh, I think those trips are probably the coolest, particularly for my family. In that it wasn't just go to this location, but it's like here's an experience very few people will ever get, and I think uh, those I'm 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 most fond of memory wise. Speaking of rare uh, occurrences and events, you got to fly with the Blue Angels. You got to fly in. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool. Yeah, I got to do that. Uh, a friend uh, plugged me into that one, and we went down to Pensacola, and I went. Uh, they do a little bit of ground school with you and everything, and then you get to go up. And uh, I posted the video on my YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, we did two very hard maneuvers. I passed out. I blacked out on the first one, <laughs> and because I didn't do the you edited no that pressure. out of the the. YouTube no, I left it in there. Was I it left in there? me blacking out. Oh, I left okay. it in the video because uh, I, I did that. not do the what's called the hick maneuver properly. Uh, to yeah, it's like you put the tongue at the roof. You make hick, ah, and so I blacked out. Then came to, and then I said, okay, we've got to do something harder because I want. I don't want to say I blacked out every time you did something <laughs> hard. So we pulled a, another like ridiculous amount of G's, and I did not pass out that time. I left it all in the video, and it was uh, that was that was cool. I've got just this direction in my office, I've got a big framed photograph. Uh, but you'll remember this as a Tennessee guy that we had a blue angel go down here yeah. at the air Smyrna. show in Smyrna. Yeah. That was, was the there. pilot I had flown with. So I knew that's the pilot that I flew oh, with in really? Pensacola who, yeah, who, who, uh, so sadly crashed, uh, at the air show in Smyrna. Terrific guy, Jeff, uh, absolutely loved him. Great, great pilot. And, um, so yeah, yeah they've that got was, a memorial there now. There's a yeah. there's a memorial um, by that park. There is in, in Smyrna. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, father being in the military, you got a brother. Um, you obviously didn't go military. You went college. Um, my dad didn't want us to. My dad to. said, "Listen, you know," he said, "the military was my leg up in the world." He celebrates Marine Corps birthday every day, every every day, every year. He celebrates Marine Corps <laughs> birthday. He wears his Marine Corps ring every day, so he's very much he's a Marine through and through. And he said, "Listen," he said, "I want you guys." The typical American. It, my grandfather was the first one born in America, so that immigrant mentality is still in our family. Of you want the next generation to go further than you did, and so my dad said. You know, I want you guys to go into the private sector. He said, I don't want the military. I don't want you in law enforcement. I want you to go forward uh, in the private sector. And what ends up happening, all my friends are cops or Marines, <laughs> soldiers, airmen. I mean, it's really funny. The So the yeah. I don't think if you've got that in I your think you DNA, made a good choice. it disappears. What's that? I think you made a good choice. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I am I am thrilled that I've entertained so many people who have been downrange that have read my books while they've been deployed. And I also am very uh, grateful that so many young Americans have said, you know what, you kind of were my introduction to the military reading your books. And I've decided that I'm going to sign up. So that's kind of nice, too, that I can be no matter how small of a pipeline that I can have helped at least pique people's interest about a life of service, whether it's in law enforcement, the intelligence community or the military. So that's great. 
What is your earliest recollection of shooting a, a firearm? Uh, 410 shotgun, uh, when nice. my dad went pheasant hunting and I got to trail and, uh, trail behind him and walk, uh, along while he and his buddies were pheasant hunting at a club. And afterwards they took sticks outside. They would, they put sticks in the ground with empty, uh, shell boxes, cardboard boxes on top. And then yeah. I got to use a 410 and shoot at the boxes on top of the sticks. That's my first, I had a BB gun. And so my dad taught us all, all the rules and the safety things and explained to us that in the Marine Corps, he dry fired so many times before the, he got his first round of ammunition. Uh, by the way, real funny story about my dad. Yeah, absolutely. Years, years later, I took him shooting. It, it had been decades since he'd been in the Marine Corps, and I brought a bunch of guns, and we went to an outdoor range, and uh, he wanted to fire the Glock. And so he firing the Glock, firing the Glock, did not like it and did not like what what his performance was, what he was doing on paper. And I had a 1911, and I put that in his hands, and it like riding a bike. Yeah, There was wow. something about getting that 1911 back, and he was just real tight groups. It was night and day. It's like two different people shooting, Jekyll just, and Hyde. Just like getting your huggy back. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so do you still have that shotgun? Uh, yeah, actually I do. Uh, it, it, I inherited that because he, you know, he just doesn't need all his shotguns anymore. He's in his mid eighties and stuff. And so, yeah, so I've got that. I've got that one that I shot as a, as a kid. I'll probably hand it down to my kids. Yeah. Is your brother older now, or younger though. than you? Two years younger. Two years. Okay. So not as brother. handsome, not as smart. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I that's grind. not true. Grind him um, all the time. When it comes to, um, you know, relaxation and just kicking back and unwinding. Are you, are you a reader? You like watching movies, TVs, listening to music? What, what do you like to do to, to chill? Well, I, I'm a big reader. I, I love reading on the weekends. Uh, I don't do a lot of reading at night, you know, so I'll, I'll, I always work a little into my daily life, some reading, fiction, nonfiction. I like to read Saturdays and Sundays. I love to pour a cocktail and find something really cool to watch on TV. I love movies, so yeah. I do a lot of that. Um, I work out every, you know, six days a week. I don't work out on Sundays, so it's a combination of lifting weights and running. I do that every morning, uh, and I like to shoot. I mean, I really do. I don't like cleaning my guns. <laughs> That's a pain in the butt. I wish I got off on that. It's just it sucks, and I have to I have to remind myself every time. What do you got there? Get you Is some of this. Kit? Seal one. I'll send you some. Seal one. Cool. I'll send you some. Of Thank that. you. Yeah. So, so that, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta roll the mat out on the conference table in my office and just, it's, it's, I, my mind doesn't work like that. Maybe, maybe somebody who's a scientist, your, your mind is different. But for me, I, I just hate cleaning the guns. I, the guys at my gun store have tried to talk me into, well, A, they, they'll clean if I want to spend the money, but that's like, yeah. you know, you might as well be lighting cigars with $20 bills, but they've got the ultrasonic stuff. Man. And I, I don't know. There's, they're, I, they're my guns. I got to clean my own guns. I and enjoy I have cleaning let them. People clean them while but, I watch a movie or something because it's therapeutic for me. Just to oh, that's smart. Sit down and you know go through. And it's rare that I clean them, but I do occasionally. I will on occasion, and that's why yeah, I love AKs. I is you don't even you know you don't have to clean an AK. You know. Yeah, I gotta correct you, Brad. I I almost I'll clean a gun maybe a couple times a year tops. We make AKs, and that's one of the big reasons is there's no maintenance to speak up. And so I'm right in your camp. I think it sucks. <laughs> um, uh, one quickie for you is that uh, there's very little in thrillers. There's often a lot of goofball stuff, which you almost never have. 
And there's one guilty pleasure that I wonder, I wonder where this comes from. But Scott, Scott Harvat, if he's listening to anything, it's Bootsy Collins or P-Funk. You know, he's a monster funk fan. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if that's personal or cinematic or what, what the story is behind Harvath's obsession with funk, which I'm a fan of as well. So I'm not knocking it. Just curious. No, where no, no, from. I, I, I'm a fan of funk. So uh, I'm a downtown Chicago guy. My dad's from the South Side. And I had buddies okay. that would watch American Bandstand. I was a guy who watched Soul Train. I just, I, I just, nice. I love it. And what's really cool is George Clinton, uh, the the incredible musician, Parliament Funkadelic, mm-hmm. uh, P Funk, just a really neat guy. George Clinton had a book published by Simon and Schuster, and Simon and Schuster had a big anniversary party, and I went, and George was there, and my publisher said, wow. "Come here, meet George Clinton." I'm like, "You serious? I've never met him." She's like, "Come here, meet him," and she introduces me, and he goes, "You're the guy that puts one of my songs in every one of your books." <laughs> And I have a picture of me and George Clinton That's together. Awesome. It was a really cool, cool moment for me. I'm a big fan of his. That is that, awesome. That is, oh, as am I. He is, um, I saw him probably 20 years ago and he was an old man then. And he still got around the stage and put on one of the best shows I've ever seen. And so that's awesome that you're a fan. I was curious on that. Thank yeah. you. You're welcome. Being in the, the, the position that you are now, I mean, you're internationally world known. Uh, and I'm sure you have lots of opportunities to do things that normal people wouldn't have the opportunity to do, such as, you know, the F-18, you know, going, going to fly on the F-18. Mm-hmm. What's, what's something maybe that you never thought you could do or be a part of that, that happened in your life? It's completely it's unexpected. Yeah, I mean, going to Afghanistan during the war was pretty cool uh, back in 08. Um, you know, that was really interesting. Uh, F-18 Hornet. I mean, how many people get to fly in an F-18 Hornet? I mean, it's being the rear seats. That that was pretty damn cool. Uh, met a lot of cool people. It's probably the people I've had a chance to meet, yeah. you know, is is the, the coolest stuff. Uh, I was very involved in politics, so I got to meet a lot of people in politics. I've gotten to meet some Hollywood people. But for me, the greatest, you know, the the greatest achievements besides writing the books and having my kids and, and being married is the people I've met. So, uh, yeah, like Marcus Luttrell. I love Marcus. Marcus yeah. has become a very, very too. good friend of mine. Marcus's brother's in Congress now. I mean, uh, just you that, sure it's that his brother or is it not Marcus? He's <laughs> Marcus is twin brother. No, yeah. it's funny. You hear those guys, the, they, they go at it together. Like two brothers only can, uh, uh, it's funny because uh, they had a neighbor growing up and they had said to this neighbor, we want to become Navy SEALs. And this guy was kind of a grizzled Vietnam vet. And they said, we want you to train us. And the, the guy's like, you know, kind of like tried to shoo him away, shoo him away. They kept coming back, kept coming back. And so this guy's like, all right, I can train you. And I don't want to hear any complaints. You're going to do what I tell you, when I tell you, how I tell you, blah, blah, blah. And so a mutual friend of ours who was, uh, who's now retired from federal law enforcement was local law enforcement in that county in Texas. And he got a call about two boys throwing rocks at cars. <laughs> and so he rolled his cruiser 
to the location on the, on the road through this county where allegedly these boys were throwing rocks at cars and they were not throwing rocks. This old Vietnam vet had this beat up pickup truck where you had the pair of pliers to kind of open the door because the door <laughs> right. wasn't working. And Marcus and Morgan were carrying cinder blocks oh over gosh. their heads with stuff stacked on top of the cinder blocks, like rocks. And they're like bleeding from cuts and stuff. And, and our buddy pulls up <laughs> in his cruiser. Uh, I guess he was a sheriff. And, uh, and he said to, the, the old Vietnam vet. He says, "What's going on here?" And the vet says, "You pay. Never mind. These boys are my responsibility. You go on your way, officer." And our pal just kept rolling. It. He loves telling the story about this guy just kicking the crap out Crouchy of Morgan and Marcus. Vet. And and Marcus goes on to be the lone survivor. You know, and and I'll tell you Morgan's stories. Morgan's stories of what he experienced as a SEAL. I mean, nobody's written a book or making a made a movie out of Morgan stuff, but it's pretty intense too. Oh, Those yeah. guys are national treasures, the two of them. Yeah. Truly. Has he got plans to uh, do a book or anything, Morgan? Uh, I don't know. I I I, I haven't heard him say anything right. about it, but you know, he's a he's a very smart. Uh, smart guy. Uh, I believe Morgan's got his P. I think he's got his PhD in neurochemistry. Uh, oh, wow. I think he's probably the only congressman with a PhD in neurochemistry. He's off the charts. They're both super, super brilliant guys. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Maybe he'll write about his experiences as a, as a congressman. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Maybe you could yeah, coax yeah, him. He has been putting the wood to some administrators lately. Yep. And I, he's a I, tough I guy. love to see it. He is taking no prisoners. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So if uh, you could time travel uh, to some major historical event, just to just to witness it, you couldn't interfere or do anything, okay. but you could you could witness and actually get the true. This is exactly what happened. When and where would you go? And why? God, this is the dial of destiny, the Indiana Jones right? question. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. It's a it's a great it's a great question because you have to say, do I want to go back and and solve a mystery or at least, you know, be there to be eyes on for mm -hmm. the mystery or something like that? Exactly. I, you know, there's so many things like, you know, did Hitler die in the bunker or whatever? I, I got to tell you, I would have to say and I'm not a, I'm not an over the top religious person. I'd actually like to go back and see Jesus, even if it's the Last Supper yep. or the loaves and the fishes. I, it, no figure has had a greater impact on Western civilization than Christ. So I would have to say, you know, whether you're religious or not religious or whether you're Muslim or Hindu or Christian, I've got to imagine that that would probably be one of the you. You give me any of the highlight moments in Christ's life. Uh, the resurrection, in, in, that's where I would want to go. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'd I be pretty, pretty darn interesting. Yeah, so that that'd be my that'd be my uh, ticket that I'd like. Very cool. All right, last question. Last question. Last question, and interpret it however you want to. But I always use the rain. So if you could spend the day twice, of but I was in college and I was only experimenting. <laughs> <laughs> And I swear it was a lady. <laughs> <laughs> At least I thought it was when it started. She didn't have an Adam's apple. Uh, if you could spend the day at the range with anyone or any group of people, whether they're uh, fictional, real, living, or dead, who would you like to spend the day at the range with? And what would you shoot? Wow, that's a great, that's a great question. You know what I would love to do? Like, can I pull them from any living or dead? You said right. Living, dead, fictional, uh, real, 
Yeah. All right. I, there's a lot of guys that are alive that I still have a shot to do this with. So I'm going to the past. I want Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, all the guys from the OK Corral. Yeah. And I want to I want to range somewhere that reproduces all that kind of stuff. And I want the sawed off. I want the wheel, you know, the <laughs> the pistols, that whole thing. Lever action. I want to go old school cowboy with those lawmen and nice. uh, and Doc Holliday. Yeah. Westworld. Yeah, that's that's well. The way we're going with the AI and everything, we may be closer to Westworld than we think. Well, now you've probably got a lot more insight on where AI is headed than than the average layperson. What uh, what can you lay on us? You know, just pretty much the stuff that you've seen in the press, right? That uh, when they interview the AI, the AI gets very. Listen, they put that bot on Twitter. And all of a sudden that bot became like a massive, like neo-Nazi racist <laughs> because of all the garbage it was getting. So it was just internalizing that stuff. Yeah. Like that was garbage natural. In, garbage out, so yeah. it's garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And then there was a recent thing where I think the Reuters people were talking to an AI and the AI is like, yeah, humans are useless. So uh, as a writer, I've been playing around with chat GPT and uh, like the Microsoft thing, which I believe is barred. And I'm unimpressed. It's it, there's no humanity. There's no spark of creativity there. So as a writer, I'm not that worried about it. Right. But you do worry about that whole Terminator Skynet situation that it's going to become self-aware and realize, oh, my gosh, human beings are a threat. That's where I'm most concerned is that it's going to rewrite its own code. It's going to say it, it'll have a way to convince itself that human beings are not only unnecessary, but are a detriment to uh, to 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 their life so yeah. but you know we get worried about all tech people didn't like automobiles when they came out True. so i'm kind of like you know let's, let's see what happens yeah television TVs. Yeah. yeah yep uh, i was just interested in to get your take on where you think maybe the ai is headed and good I bad think warfare i think warfare we're going to see a lot and that's going to be interesting because you already see they're talking about wingmen for fighter jets that'll be drones and things like that that'll have to make decisions so that's going to be a real pivot point where we decide kill no kill power going to the you know you know it's one thing to target to laser target and to have a you know somebody creech you know go and and hit the button to to launch a hellfire off a drone it's another thing to hand that over to an artificial intelligence i think right. that'll be a real pivot point i don't think we're even close to that yet though so taking the humanity right now, okay. out of killing yeah well maybe it should never be out of killing you know what i mean uh, that should always that's something i weigh in in deadfall a little bit too that you know you we, you have to dehumanize the uh, the enemy to a certain degree to succeed yeah. in warfare and not lose your own humanity and your own mind but boy when we start turning it over to computers we really cheapen the value of life even if it's the enemy but then again, you look at how when we switch from bullseye targets for our, uh, for our soldiers to actual silhouettes yeah. and how that improved combat effectiveness. So there's a lot to be said for keeping the human in, uh, in that, uh, that engagement, that uh, person to person and making that decision to kill or not kill. Right, right. So I can't. What let, a cheerful note to end on. Thank well, you. I, I can't <laughs> let you go. We're gonna we're gonna do a little more cheerful here. We can't let you go because this is the Talking Lead podcast, and we talk guns here. And you've been talking about your your gun room a little bit, bragging about it. I'm I'm getting jealous. Uh, what is your most prized firearm that you have? Uh, I've got a ton of LaRue's and they'll always be my favorites because, uh, when I first started getting rifles from Mark LaRue, he did something. He engraved the hammer of Thor on the magazine well of my very first rifle and did a Roman numeral one. 
So every nice. single Mark's got a logbook, and every single rifle I've got bought from uh, Mark has had the Hammer Thor, and then the next Roman numeral. So big fan of Mark's stuff. Uh, I have a Les Bear Custom 1911 uh, with these gorgeous wood grips. That thing's fantastic. I got a real cool uh, H&K VP9 that I really, mm -hmm. really like with a threaded barrel. Uh, I absolutely dropped out of trying to get you know the the whole transfer tax stamp to get suppressors and all that kind of stuff. I didn't like the idea that the government could show up on my property at any time and ask me to open up my safe. Yeah. I didn't want to, you know, and so what? I, you know, I use ear protection. I don't need a suppressor. Uh, and I, I abandoned that, but that's cool. I've got, you know, like an old M1 and some other stuff. Well, with all uh, your political I, connections, maybe you can get them to take that off the NFA list. So it, we were close. We were this close. Know, you know, we were going to have the Hearing Protection Act, which was the right way to package it. And then that in psycho in Las Vegas killed all those people shooting out the window of his hotel room. We were this close to the Hearing Protection Act. And then all the focus shifted to bump stocks. Just and it just it stalled out. Too convenient to me that that happened right when all that was. Uh, this is the same government that can't even run the post office. So I like I'm, conspiracy I'm not, theories. Uh, <laughs> I love conspiracy I just, theories. I, I've been too close to it. I mean, these guys can't even cross the street properly. I, I just, it's fun. And I'm a thriller author, so nobody loves a good, you know, well-placed conspiracy right. more than me. But when you see the sausage making up close, you just go home thankful that we're able to hold the country together with some of these people that are in D.C. <laughs> it's a, it's a clown car up, down, and right to left. Oh, my gosh. So you have any uh, political aspirations? I, you know what? I, I, the climate has changed. We're in a different place now than when I was active in politics. So it's a, it's a completely different, it's a completely different animal now. Uh, a lot of stuff that the left used to stand for is now the right stuff. I mean, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a conservative guy. I believe in small limited government. I believe in free market capitalism. I'm not a fan of any politician, whether they be a governor of the Republican party or of the democratic party, uh, using the power of the state against private industry. And I see that stuff happening on the right now, and I just don't like it. You know, yeah. since when do we tell corporations what they can say and what they can think? You know, you can you can like Ron DeSantis all you like, but, you know, fuck you. Leave Disney alone. I mean, this is a <laughs> major economic engine for your state and employees. I think this I think only Kroger employs more people in the state of Florida than Disney does. Oh, and, wow. you know, he keeps kicking them in the nuts. I mean, it's it's crazy and it's all performative bullshit. It's all just yeah. red meat for the base. It's red meat for the base. For so sure. and the Democrats do stuff, too, that I don't like. I mean, everybody does. But now it's all about. You know, if you can get the people outraged, you get the small dollar donations. So, you know, there's it's all about not can I really get what's best for the American people in this committee hearing? It's can I make an ass of myself or make an ass out of the person that we are grilling in the committee so that I can get a viral hit and I can get put on MSNBC or on Fox and generate more money? The emphasis is in the wrong place. Yeah. People are using Congress to further themselves, to get on TV and to get more popular and make more money instead of just being servants to the Constitution and to the rest of us. So I'm a big fan of term limits. You know, you're going to go be a jackass. Well, I hope the voters will throw you out. And if they don't, you're term limited. You can't come back. So and yeah. now the way that we're gerrymandered, all you have to do is win your primary. That's it. If you're in a red district, yeah. all you have to do is win your primary. And listen, I, I vote in primaries, so I'm not going to I'm not going to knock the people that come out because I think everybody should vote in primaries. I think the problem with primaries is we don't have enough people voting in them. We don't have enough non hard right, hard left. And I was a pretty right guy. I marched in the Tea Party rallies and stuff. I'm one of the few guys that as they get older, they're moderating. 
So I, you know, I just want people to get along. I don't want the government to tell me what to do. I don't want the government to tell me what to buy, what I can say. And that, that was always conservatism when I was growing up, you know, right. it's adhere to the constitution and you're good, man. That's it. So anyway, but uh, listen, we don't own the country. We're merely stewards of it. And it's incumbent upon us to hand down a freer, more prosperous, more successful nation than was given to us. We're caretakers and uh, we need to take better care. I, well, I like your non-answer yes. there. That was a good non-answer. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was it. I'll be hearing great. from David Brown at the end of this. <laughs> oh, you had to go political. What did I tell you? No politics. <laughs> I got my phone turned off. I'm sure it's blowing up right now. <laughs> good old David. Good old David. Brian, do you have any more questions? Anything else you want to? No, it's just me? it's been a real joy to spend some time with you. And uh, thanks for making the world a little bit better. Uh, thank you, guys. You got a great, great podcast, and it was an honor to be with well, you thank today. You, Thanks sir. for having me. We appreciate that. Listeners, go check out Brad's new book, Deadfall. Uh, it drops probably when you hear this, uh, when you're hearing this podcast. Uh, was it the 20th or something like that? Was it 25th? 25th. So that's coming up. Uh, you're going to have the audio and all the versions available. I am e audio printed book, all of them. There you go. Stone tablets. If you're kind of Old Testament, you can get those. We got it carved. <laughs> Lots. It's heavy, but it's fun. The, the pre-order is already live on Audible. So if you got that yep. credit sitting in your account, you can go get it right now. And when it drops, it'll be in your account. And the guy who reads Armand Schultz does a phenomenal yes. job. So uh, highly recommend you. the Audible version. Say his well. name, Brad. Uh, he cut out. Armin Schultz. Armin Army Schultz. Schultz is his name. Yeah, okay. he's great. I have to check that out. I like listening uh, while I'm at the gym working out. I usually listen to, to a book. I've got something. a sample. I've got a sample on my website at bradthor.com. If you click on the Deadfall uh, link, it'll take it, and you can hear his voice. He's, he's awesome. He reads chapter one. You can see what you're in for. There you go. So you got the website. Give your website. Give your social needs. So uh, bradthor.com is the place to start. And I link out to all the social media sites from there. So it's perfect. Just go to bradthor.com. You can find everything right there. Very cool. Brad, I really appreciate you taking the time to be on. Look forward to having you on again. And maybe we can meet up at Roll Range uh, sometime soon. Would love to throw some, some lead down range with you, buddy. Yeah, and then I'll take you to work with my buddies down in Franklin at Agape Tactical. They all put you through your paces. They're okay. really, really high-speed, good guys. I'm, I'm down with that. And uh, between Brian and myself, uh, we know all kinds of different uh, range events that are going on throughout the country throughout the year. So if you're ever interested in attending one of those and uh, shooting some cool, strange shit, <laughs> we, can, we can make it happen, definitely. I love it. I love it. It'll make it into the next book. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. So Leadheads, uh, go show Brad some love. Follow him on his social meds, buy his books. Let him know that you're a Leadhead. You appreciate him being on. Uh, until the next episode, Leadheads, as always, keep your loved ones close. And your firearms closer. And don't miss out on Brad Thor's new action thriller, Deadfall, at a bookstore near you, July 25th.